That was a bit of an aside, wasn't it? Uh, well, today we are starting again, as you can see, uh, to con- well, we're starting again to continue our series through Second Peter. We're looking here at uh, chapter 2, which is my most favorite chapter in Second Peter. I have, I don't know about you, but I've loved preaching on it for the last three weeks. I said to Taryn, it's going to be so wonderful when Second Peter 2 is finished. I've personally found it really uh, difficult and challenging to preach on, and it's a confronting passage, isn't it? And I hope it's confronted you, because otherwise it's just me and I'm, I'm, I'm gracious enough to share. Uh, but I hope it's also been encouraging. And we're going we're gonna to continue. Um, ignore the screen, that's chapter 3. Thanks, Wayne. Sorry about that. So we're going to carry on today looking at chapter 2. Now, for those of you that don't remember, uh, uh, Peter's written to Christians. He's basically written to them saying, guys, remember that Jesus has done it all. Jesus has done everything that you need. Jesus has has given you all that you need to live a godly life. Um, Stop all of this trying to be good enough for God because you're not. May God give you more and more grace and more and more peace as you live out your lives following Him. He's given you everything. Use it. In about 12 years ago, a really good friend of mine bought me a really expensive birthday present. It's an electronic RC car. You know one of those remote-controlled cars? You buy in a kit, you paint it, and you put the motors in. It's fantastic. One of these days, I'll take it out of the box and I'll build it. <laughs> It's, it's wonderful. I've always wanted one, and I just never get around to doing it. Just it. What's the point of having it if it's sitting in a box? And that's what Peter says. Don't, don't just have God give you everything and then keep it in a box and keep going, Oh God, give me more, give me more. Oh God, I'm not good enough. Oh God, I can't do this. Oh God, oh God. And Peter's just saying, forget the oh God, oh God. Yes, say God, help me. But, but then just get off your backside and... Live, follow Jesus. Fall, stumble, who cares? At least you're following after him. And when you stumble, says one John, he'll pick you up. uh, And says Jesus, he'll pick you up and you'll keep going. Now, the problem is, in Peter's church, not only do they need to be reminded to put their faith into practice, but there are people in that congregation who are actively reminding them to do otherwise. Uh, These false teachers were going around saying, Jesus isn't coming back. Don't worry about it. Uh, Just live how you want to. They were the kind of people who practiced, well, their lifestyles were were interesting. They lived for sensuality. They lived for uh, whatever pleasures they could get from this world. They didn't think Jesus was coming back, and so who cares? Live it up now. You're forgiven, by the way, as Christians, so sin big. And for them, of course, they go for whatever gives maximum pleasure. And uh, as is the case in a lot of the Bible, there's a big emphasis on sexual stuff here as well. But, but it goes beyond that to greed. In fact, we saw a few weeks ago that Peter says that they train themselves to be greedy. And the word he uses there is the word we get for uh, gymnastics and things like that. They go to the gym of greediness. Like making an effort. I, I don't know. I, it comes naturally to me. These guys are just not as good as me, I think. But they, they trained themselves to be as greedy as they can. And, and Peter's writing to the Christians in the church going, guys, watch out for these false teachers. Because God's got a track record of dealing with people 
who pull them, who pull others away from God. Who he's got a track record of dealing with sin. Don't think that you can just sin blatantly and go, God, I dare you to do something, God. God says, well, look at what I've done in the past. You really want me to take that there? And he's gone on and he's described to us their character. He's described to us the fact that they will face the wrath of God one day when Jesus returns as, as judge, yes. But also he's been quick to say as our rescuer. And he said, yes, God is the judge, but for those who trust him, he is the rescuer. Now, reading some of my commentaries this week, uh, there's people going, well, these, these false teachers are beyond any hope. And I don't know, I, I think Peter still holds out hope for anyone and everyone. Because if they repent, if they turn to Jesus at any stage, Jesus will forgive. But repentance is more than saying sorry. Repentance is a turning to God. And if I turn to the wall, I'm turning my back on you. It's turning to God and away from the past. It's, it's doing what Peter said in the first uh, chapter, which is put your faith into practice. Okay, oh, oh, we got it. We, we caught up with ourselves there. No. Okay, let's start again. So Peter's writing this letter. We got it. Are we awake? Excellent. Okay, we should pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love us and that you are good to us. Please help us to remember that you have forgiven us and that you have set us free and that you've given us all that we need. Help us not to wallow in in uh, our dire straits, but to set our sights on you and to chase after you. Help us to be wise. And please help us to understand this passage. Lord, it's another one that's not particularly pleasant or easy, but, but help us to understand. Thank you. Amen. Okay. It is good that God gives us the Spirit to help us understand, because we might struggle without it. So, Peter's written, as I said, to remind us of Jesus' great mercy. Uh, and, and we've got these teachers in the church who don't believe that Jesus is coming back, who, who, who claim that they know the secret for living the successful Christian life. Has anyone here got the secret to living the victorious Christian life? Rest. Rest, rest, well, rest is important. Rest in Jesus, trust the Spirit, that's important, yes? Guys, you missed the most obvious one. Faith, yeah, that's important. Profess your sins, that's important. Give yourself completely to God and everything, that, that's right. But you've missed the most important one. Ask Jesus to help you, that's important. No, do whatever feels good right now. That's what the false teachers would say. I was, I was saying to someone yesterday, I'm doing this message on Second Peter, and he said, you know, you've just thrown a sermon in there which is completely heretical. And then at the end of the series you go, and did you notice the heretical sermon I gave you halfway through? So I'm hopefully not going to do that. Yes, what you guys said is right. Trust Jesus. Um, Keep reminding yourself of what grace is and to trust that and to rest in that and to lie in that. But the false teachers go, no! You know what? Live whatever is good now. That is the secret to being a Christian. You're forgiven, so go for it. Whatever feels good, forget who it hurts, forget who it affects, just go for it. 
You see, they reject that the, the idea that God is our ultimate source of joy, that God made us to enjoy Him. And, and this is something that we find difficult to wrap our heads around, that, that we can be most satisfied when we are satisfied in God. Um, the, these false teachers promote living lives that are contrary to what God wants. They, they say, uh, live for whatever feels good, no matter what. God says, be holy as I am holy. Jesus says, follow me. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, Jesus said, To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And in John chapter 7, Jesus also spoke about giving people water to drink. And he explained to us that the water that he gives is the Holy Spirit. Well, um, John explains that to us. He gives the Spirit to all those who come to Him. In other words, if you are thirsty, if you want to live, really live, then you need to go to Jesus. He will give you to drink from the water of life. He will give you the Spirit of life. The breath of God that that created everything, that, that breathed life into humanity. And that breathes life into us, that wakens us to our need of Jesus. You know what? Anyone who comes to Jesus and realizes they need forgiveness, that is a work of the Spirit. Because it doesn't come naturally to us, I believe. These false teachers, well, they also offered life. But their life was... The problem is, they offered life, but they didn't speak for or represent the source of life. If the Holy Spirit is the source of life, the, the, the wellspring of life, If God gives life and if Jesus offers it and offers to give us the Spirit who gives life, then these false teachers come along and say, we can give life, but they don't speak for God and so they don't have the Spirit. They are in fact, says Peter, dry springs and driven mists. The thing about a spring and a mist is that it holds the promise of moisture. but it ultimately can't fulfill. Oh, you can put nets up against the mist and you can drain some water down, but there's not much there. Ultimately, they don't satisfy. A dry spring, maybe there's like a bit of mud there and you think, oh, there's going to be lots of water, but there's nothing there. Actually, it's bone dry. These false teachers might seem strong and fantastic. They might seem to have the best in life. This, by the way, we still have false teachers today. Peter's been pretty clear about that, that there will be false teachers until the end of the age when Jesus returns. Uh, Really, apart from how they choose to live their lives, and and by the way, just because someone sins doesn't make them a false teacher. The false teacher is an attitude of, I'm sinning and I don't care. Um, just by the way because I sin any other preacher you go to if they tell you they don't sin they're a false teacher (laughs) but another way you can spot a false teacher is if you get a leaflet in the mail going you know what we've got this amazing guest speaker God has done I can't do American accent the bad habits of that God has done incredible things through this teacher he has healed the sick and raised the dead and he's going to do it again and there's guaranteed results. Come along and you will be healed. 
You know what? Anyone who goes around boasting and arrogant about how much God has used them and how much God will use them and all this, I would say to you, think twice about going to that event. And you think about the apostles and all of them. Peter, uh, Paul, the one time where he does a little bit of boasting, he boasts about all the things that goes wrong. And even there he says, I must be mad to be boasting like this. About how many shipwrecks he's had and stuff like that. You see, Paul's point and Peter's point and all the, the true teacher's point is, don't look at me, but look to God. No, don't get us wrong. People are human and so there's always that little bit of look at me. But, but a false teacher is always, look at me, look at me, look at me. God and I are like this. That's what Peter says here. He says to us in chapter 2, verse 17, These people are as useless as dried up springs, as mists blown by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. They might live it up now, but their judgment is ready for them. Paul faced false teachers just as Peter did. Paul, uh, uh, Paul was not a handsome man, from all accounts. He also wasn't the best speaker. There's a wonderful story about how he was speaking one day, and one of the young men was so enthralled by it that he fell asleep and fell out the window and died. It was after six hours. It was after six hours. I know, he couldn't get his point across in 40 minutes. <laughs> Amazing, that story, of course. Paul went down and they prayed and the young man got up and he was fine and he went home. He decided maybe he's going to go to bed instead of staying at the meeting. And Paul kept speaking for a bit longer. Paul faced these false teachers who uh, were better looking than him, better dressed than him. They had better rhetorical skills. They could speak better than him. And they were more expensive than him. Which tells you a lot, because if you're expensive, you've got to be good. Reg is a doctor. He doesn't bulk bill, which means he's a really good doctor. That's the only reason I know that. Ultimately, no, Reg is a good doctor, even though he doesn't bulk bill. Embarrassing Reg there. Uh, but ultimately, God, these false teachers might look like they've got it all together, but they offer nothing. They offer a temporary thrill uh, instead of an eternity with God. And God in His wisdom delights in using what is weak to show off His power. A, a false teacher is, is going to point out how good he is. Uh, but God says, well, if you're so good, why do you need me? God decides to use a weakling like Paul, a stumbler and a serial Messer upper, like Peter, or myself, or any of you. They might live it up now, but their judgment is ready for them. Blackest darkness. And 1 John um, chapter 1, verse 5 says God is light. And so the fact that their judgment is blackest darkness means that their judgment is total separation from God. Condemnation. They will, they will be apart from Him, which is hell. So what are they? They are dry springs. 
They give a fantastic offer, but really they are hollow. They, they brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. When, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They're all about the show. And they prey on those who are, who are new to the faith or, or on those who are, who are still maturing in the faith, who are easily persuaded that their spring that they represent, their, their offer of fulfilling life, uh, uh, the people are easily persuaded that there is depth to that water, even though it's probably just a mirage. The, the, they, they prey on people who are still learning to trust that God is good, no matter what. And that even when things go bad, God still loves us and has the best planned for us. And, and they're still learning to trust that, that God has an eternity of delight for us. They entice them, or, or, or they bait them, that's the word of like going fishing. They bait them with an offer of, well, you're a Christian, well done, fantastic, but why do you want to change? And, and it's very, you can see why it's popular, because they offer an excuse to keep doing the things that, that you probably know you shouldn't be doing, but you want to do, even though they don't honor God or others. Uh, a theologian called Biggs says, grandiose sophistry is the hook, filthy lust is the bait. I think he came from a few years ago, so let me put that in English. The bait is filthy lust, is, is wanting to do what you know is wrong. And they back it up with arguments that make it sound like it's the most sensible, logical thing in the world. And it's, by the way, if, if you want to do something and somebody gives you an argument, all of a sudden the argument sounds a lot more plausible. They treat God's grace as something to be taken advantage of. As I said earlier, you're forgiven, so why not just sin big? Perhaps they were saying that, that uh, this body doesn't matter, that as long as your soul is saved. But the Bible says... This body does matter. We, we can't separate out soul and body and spirit. It, it's, it's a package deal. It's melded together. 1 Corinthians, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If this body doesn't matter, well, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That makes it matter. Uh, this body has been bought by Jesus. Not just our souls. Jesus has bought our bodies. They belong to us. No, they belong to us. They belong to Him. They belong to us because they belong to Him. And because they belong to Him, He gives them to us. Let me back out of that one really quickly. The point is, our bodies matter. And what we do in the body matters. They are our bodies, but they have been bought by Jesus. That's what I wanted to say. Perhaps they were saying, Jesus isn't coming back. There will be no judgment. If there is no judgment, who's going to get upset with you doing whatever you want to do? Just do whatever you want to do. The false teachers have themselves and encourage us to do what Jeremiah warned, or Jeremiah spoke of as happening in chapter 2. Forsaken me, the Lord, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, Systems that cannot hold water. This is what the false teachers say. They say, we will give you life, we will give you 
and this image of water and mists and dry springs, and they say, we will satisfy your thirst for God and for meaning and for fulfillment. But really, they've given you a jug that's got a hole in it. It cannot hold water, certainly not for eternity. Peter also says they're dry springs, but they are also mists driven by the wind, by a storm. Verse 19, he says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. You're a slave to whatever controls you. Isn't that uh, an interesting line there? You're a slave to whatever controls you. Uh, They offer freedom, maybe freedom to enjoy sin without guilt, or, or freedom from legalism, or the freedom from change. Ultimately, what they offer is freedom from God. They say, just Just live whatever you want. Enjoy your freedom. You are subject to nothing and no one. But you end up being free from the one who loves you the most. And I I think if we define what freedom is today, what, what do you think freedom is? From a from a worldly point of view. That's right. Whatever I want to do, I get to decide what is right and what is wrong. I get to make my choices. I am in charge. The false teachers back then, as today, would go along with that and say, yeah, whatever makes you feel good. If you want to sniff glue, sniff glue. You might die, but enjoy it. Who cares if you die? Because there's no eternity. As Christians, but by the way, don't sniff glue. There is an eternity. Jesus is coming back. That's what Peter did, yes. As Christians, though, aren't we free to do whatever we want? In Christ. Paul dealt with this again in Corinthians. And, and, and it is true to say everything is permissible. Not everything is for the building up of yourself or your brothers. Not everything is beneficial. Not everything is useful. Not everything is constructive. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, does this help me love God more or less? Does it help me love God's people more or less? Does this help me be all that God intends me to be? Is this what God wants for me? If, if God wants what's best for me, is this what is going to be best? I have a friend who has a problem that he is addicted to drinking brake fluid. Brake fluid. He tells me he can stop at any time. I don't really have a friend. That's just, that's your bad joke for the day. <laughs> Is it, but it's the same thing. These, these false teachers, they might have thought themselves free. But actually they couldn't stop sinning if they tried. They are so assertive of their freedom from restraint that they can do whatever they want, that actually they've become slaves to self-indulgence. 
Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Can I just show of hands here? Anyone sin today? Yesterday? There's a few on this side. Friends on that side. She's a sinner. Okay, let's go back. Wednesday, Thursday. Anyone this week, this month? Okay, that, that's good. I'm, I'm quite... <clears throat> I'm quite interesting sitting here listening at the front and Ria's going, Graham, put your hand up. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> Jesus says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And I think Peter's maybe going with that. And that includes you and I. But Jesus says, and this is the gospel, that basically says, I died to buy you. Stop volunteering your life to sin. If you're my slave, why are you working over there? I love you. Why aren't you with me? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Peter says, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. True freedom is escaping the corruption of the world by knowing Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That's what Peter said in the first chapter of Second Peter. Freedom is escaping the corruption of this world, which, which will decay and, and disappear, and it, and it will go. Freedom is being free to follow Jesus, not shackled and shuffling after sin towards death. P.T. Forsyth said, the purpose of life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. Because, as Peter says, you are a slave to whatever has mastered you. If you're mastered by sin, you're a slave to sin. These false teachers promise freedom, but, but sin, a life without God, a life against God, is what is really calling the shots for them. Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, You are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. You are slaves to whoever you obey. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are then... <clears throat> And then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again. They're worse off than before. It would be better if they'd never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. Now, some people question who the they is in verse 20 there. Is it the people who are enticed by the false teachers or is it the false teachers? Personally, I, I think Peter's focus here is on the false teachers. But it seems to me as we read here and... and even if you, you go, I disagree, I think it's the people that are enticing. The problem is, verse 20 seems to read to me that these false teachers were Christians. Listen to what it says. They escaped from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then they got entangled and overcome. Hands up again, who, who sings? <laughs> are they like Judas? 
who followed Jesus, who preached, who did miracles in Jesus' name. And then betrayed him. Peter says it's worse, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, to knowingly reject Jesus' sacred command than to have never known it. This is a deliberate, I will not follow Jesus. I reject God's right to dictate my life. But the question then is, and I know our time is, is, is up, but this is a big question, we can't leave it here. The question then is, can Christians fall away? Can they die in corruption by rejecting Jesus? The Bible's pretty clear on this. I've mentioned this a few times. If you're saved, you are saved. John chapter 6, go home and read it. Romans chapter 5 to 8, some of the best chapters. John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Bible's clear about that. If you are in Jesus' hand, no one can snatch you out of it. However, at the same time, you have passages like 2 Peter or Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10 or Romans 11, which, which speak about falling away. In John chapter 6, a fantastic chapter, Jesus teaches the crowds that life only comes by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is you have to come to him for life. You have to trust in what he has done for life. You, you have to make him, or, or he has to become you. you. You have to have him in you. And Jesus goes on and tells the crowds that, that only the Spirit gives life. And that that is a gift from God, that the Father draws people to him. And it's interesting because there in John chapter 6, verse 66, we read that, that at this point, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many of his acquaintances turned back. and Many of those who just happened to be standing around, many of his disciples... People who had said, yeah, I'm going to follow him. Yeah, Jesus is my teacher. Jesus is my rabbi. And when Jesus turns and says, actually, I, I, I don't want to just be your teacher or a rabbi. If you want life, you need me. You need to trust that I have what's best for you, that, that I am, am the giver of life, the giver of the spirit, and they turned away. Like them, the false teachers knew their options. They, they even followed Jesus for a while. But ultimately, they weren't willing to accept him. They, they, they didn't believe that he was our life and is our life. Are these people, these false teachers, people who committed the unforgivable sin? Have you heard of the unforgivable sin? Matthew chapter 12, 31 to 32, in the context of Pharisees, seeing all that Jesus is doing, speaks of the unforgivable sinners blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Perhaps it's an open-eyed refusal to accept Jesus as God, despite all the evidence, despite all that he has done, all the miracles in that case. 
if you've, if you've done this, if, you, if you've committed the unforgivable sin, you cannot be forgiven. And the reason you can't be forgiven is because you don't believe that you need to be forgiven and you don't believe that Jesus can forgive you. F.F. F. Bruce, the theologian, says, God has pledged himself to pardon all the truly repentant. But scripture and experience alike suggest that it is possible for human beings to arrive at a state of heart and life where they can no longer repent. So the question is, have you committed the unforgivable sin ever? Has anyone here wondered, oh wow, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Ever? Wouldn't be here if we had. I'm sorry. I've, I've seen at least one person nod their head. And I will nod my head as well. I've thought to myself, wow, have I, have I gone too far? Calvin, the great theologian, thought about this. And he said, well, if you are one who thinks that and wonders that, it's a sign that you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. Because if you are thinking about offending God, then you're still got the Spirit working in you. Which is brilliant, isn't it? This is why I think there's a little bit of hope still for these false teachers, or for the victims that they're trying to ensnare and, and, and entrap. Yes, uh, we all sin. Yes, we all get entangled, and sometimes sin even seems to run us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and true and will forgive us our sins. And if we confess our sin to Jesus, we are recognizing that it is sin and that it is Jesus who can forgive us. And therefore, although we might feel overcome by sin, actually Jesus is the one who has overcome. You are a slave to whatever controls you. But get your facts right, even though you might sin, Jesus controls you. Capiche? Okay. Tell us. If everything you have built is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be slave, will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Exactly. If we're Jesus's, we stay Jesus's. If we stay Jesus, if we're Jesus's, we stay Jesus's. It's going to cost us big. Yeah. Um, how are we going? Are you encouraged yet? Okay. Let me just say, if if we're going to ask God for grace and mercy, it means we accept that he is Lord and Savior. And you know what? That's the great thing is if you ask, keep knocking, keep asking, and you will get an answer from God. That's a promise. And it's a promise from God. So don't say, Nicholas, you gave a guarantee, and right at the beginning you said false teachers give guarantees. So (laughs) just make that clear. I guess our prayer then is what Peter prays at the beginning of Second Peter. And I love this because he says, Jesus has done it all. Chapter 1, verse 2. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Brilliant. As we grow in our knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Well, just quickly finish. Um, just There's a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 6. Don't build your house on the sandy land. No, don't build it too near the shore. 
well, it might be kind of nice, but you're going to have to build it twice and get the words right. Yes, you're going to have to build your house once more. You know the song. You know the story. Two people build a house. One says, I like the beach life. I'm going to put it right there. The other says, well, the beach life is nice, but have you seen the waves? And they, they dig deep and they dig a foundation. Uh, what we sometimes don't realize is that what Jesus is talking about in that story, Luke chapter 6, is people who go, well, Jesus, I love you. I'll follow you. Jesus is saying, someone who hears what Jesus says and then doesn't actually live it is like someone who builds their house on a sandy, uh, on the sand. But someone who hears Jesus' words and puts it into practice is like someone who does the hard yards, who, who digs deep. And, and like it, it's not nice digging a foundation. Like it's a rock. Why would you do that? It's stupid. When you can just put something down on the sand. Anyway, they, they go and they dig this. And in Jesus' story, the unstable house falls and its destruction, says Jesus, is complete. But the house that was built on the rock, those who put Jesus' words into action and live out his words, they survive. It's tempting to skip the deep foundations for the quick surface stuff and the surface joys. And that's what the false teachers are offering. The false teachers say, live for now. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about the deep foundations. This is Peter's big point. We should live knowing that this life isn't all there is. Yes, there are pleasures here. Yes, there is much that is good in this world. But they are not ultimate. Ultimate is being with God. Peter finishes with two proverbs, and let's finish on this delightful picture of um, a pig in the mud and a dog licking up its vomit. (laughs) False teachers might look good, but eventually their character is revealed. They prefer living in sin and rebellion against God, and so they quickly abandon Jesus. Because they don't trust that Jesus is coming back, they they don't want to miss out on this life. They say, "I'll, I'll take what's here and now, over what looks like it might never come. The sad thing is, they are settling for their own filth and their own vomit. And that is disgusting. And it's probably not the nicest picture to leave a sermon with. But that's Peter's point. Sin might look like a spring or a beautiful rain cloud, but really it's disgusting. They are worse off than before. They're working hard to inoculate themselves against Jesus. But Jesus is coming back soon as judge and as saviour. He has a track record of judging. He has a track record of keeping his word. We're going to see next week that he is delaying his return, not because it's not going to happen, but because he wants to give people a time to repent. Anyone a time to repent. To abandon perhaps even the vomit and the mud. Certainly not to be tempted back there. And to say to Jesus, I have been looking for treasures in places that are not here. Be my ultimate treasure. Sin is vomit. Treasure is Jesus. May we be satisfied only with treasure and not be madmen 
showing off our vomit to and, and, and saying, isn't this fantastic? Yes, you diced the carrots beautifully, but I don't want to look at them again. <laughs> May God bless you. <laughs> that image is going to be in your heads now, isn't it? <laughs> May God bless you. May, may he remind you that he is your ultimate joy. May you not be satisfied with anything less. And remember, he is coming back. And he is faithful and true. And he loves you. Amen.